Welcome to CMMS Radio, a podcast, blog site, and general resource for all things CMMS, computerized maintenance management software, from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey. We'll bring in experts along the way to help us learn more about CMMS, facilities operations, and much more. If you need help with a CMMS project, send a message at cmmsradio.com using the What's On Your Mind link. Suggest a topic, share your CMMS story, or ask questions. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are joined by Ryan Chan, and he is the founder and CEO of Upkeep, which is, in fact, one of the first, if not the first, mobile-first solutions and it came to be introduced in 2015, but there were some things that happened before that. I just want to welcome you to the show. I appreciate you coming on, Ryan. All right, thanks, Greg, for for having me. And it's uh, sounds like it's going to be story time today, huh? <laughs> I, I think so, and I think that's what people like. And you and I have talked about this before, but I'm going to rewind way back to 2014, and this is the very first time we met. This was in Las Vegas at the NFMT Vegas show where I was there walking the floor, paying attention to the industry. And then I bumped into you and you're running around with your phone, going up to anybody and everybody, asking them what they're doing for CMMS and if they'd like to take a look at your mobile application that you were building. So I want to start right there and I want to talk about that story about how you were running around over there. I want to know what was the impetus for you developing the platform and then how did everything go at that show when you were working the floor? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll actually take it a few years back before that actually. And then we'll, we'll kind of lead up into NFMT 2014 because that was a, yeah, that, that was a funny time. Uh, yeah. Very, very memorable too. So, you know, a little bit about myself. I went to Cal Berkeley chemical engineer. Uh, my first job was actually working as a process engineer at a manufacturing plant spun out of DuPont Chemicals. So I was actually working as a full-time process engineer, uh, manufacturing. I was actually part of the team that was responsible for picking out, choosing, implementing maintenance software within our manufacturing plant. Um, Saw how bad it was, said I think I could build something better. Um, So I wound up teaching myself how to code. I got a job as an iOS developer in 2014, actually. Mm -hmm. And then while I was working full-time as an iOS developer, I was building this app on the side on the nights and weekends. I wasn't charging for it. It was 100% free. I was doing it just because I wanted to build products for the for the industry that I knew people could use. Um, so that was on it. That was actually 2014 when I had just learned how to code. I was working full time as a software engineer, as an iOS developer for a company called DTS. We actually made IO codecs for you know movies and um, Blu-rays and. <laughs> you know, at home DVDs. So like very, very different industry. But on the nights and weekends, I was building this product and it was, it all stemmed from my experience working in a manufacturing plant, seeing how bad technology was, seeing how technicians never sat in front of a desktop, but how we asked them, I'm responsible for this too, how I asked them to come back to the office, retype all their notes back into a desktop at the end of their day. So I was building this product that was 100% mobile first. You know, at the time, Greg, you may or may not even know this, like we didn't have a desktop app. In 2014, right. 
we did not have a desktop application. It was, you know, it's like mobile first, mobile only actually at that time. Yeah. I, well, I, I remember that because after discovering, cause I was in the industry as well, built the company, all that stuff. But I was, I was paying attention to different players out there, new, old, doesn't matter. And I knew at that time that you didn't have a desktop application. <laughs> and for me, it was more about kind of watching and seeing, because I personally thought at the time, and you didn't know this at that time, but I thought that is what you need to be doing. And now that you explain that you were in a process manufacturing environment, that is one of the biggest things when it comes to the moving parts of an operation, these technicians and engineers don't have any time whatsoever to go sit at a desk. They don't do that. Yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was really a brilliant approach on, on your part because you're meeting people where they are to enable them and really bring the most efficiency you can to that primary environment where you were seeing the problem. Yeah, yeah. All right, so 2014, NFMT. I had just mm -hmm. left my job as a chemi. I just got a job as an iOS developer. I just started building this thing called Upkeep. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, again, like just, just know like 2014 was a time where it was all just a side project. It was never about building a business. It was never about like making money, generating revenue. It was about building a product that I thought people could use in the industry. So 2014, um, I forgot how I got introduced to NFMT. But someone said, hey, Ryan, you should go to this like conference. It's out in Vegas. Like, um, go to this conference and, and you know, I think it might be interesting for you. So I hop on a plane. I, I take a vacation day from work because I'm working full time. I take a vacation day from work to go to this conference. I go by myself. Um, and my only goal there was just like learn from other people. I, I had worked in a manufacturing plant, but you know, I was just still very, very young, early in the industry. Like. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to see what other people were using. I wanted to see what other people were building. And I wanted to see if like anyone would even like use my, my thing that I'd just been building on the nights and weekends and see if it had any value at all. Right. I ran around this trade show. I walked up to anyone that would talk to me. Said, Hi, my name is Ryan. I'm building this CMS. 90% of the time they'd say, oh, sorry, we're using Maximo. Like that looks cute. <laughs> <laughs> Typical answer back then. Um, and yeah, obviously, yeah, things have, have changed quite a bit. But yeah, I mean, I remember bumping into you, Greg, and you know, yeah. we chatted for a little bit, showed you my, you know, this thing I was working on the nights and weekends. And at the time, transparently, I'd never told anyone that like, you know, I was still working as a, at a full-time job. Like I walked around and, you know, this is the biggest thing since sliced bread. Like, you know, we got a big team behind this. Like, no. <laughs> that, you know, I, th I think that's okay because it's the natural, it's a little bit old school, new school. So if we think about problems that exist, somebody encounters a problem, they decide to solve it. It's not always going to be, well, I want to solve this because then I can go make a bunch of money. Sometimes it's just that they want to solve it because they're passionate about getting it to that next level or solving that particular problem or filling that gap that they've experienced pain from. And they think other people do have that same pain. So I, I think it 
comes from the right place. And people don't need to know that you're side hustling it at first. I don't think they mind, but back then it was still a little bit, you know, nobody talked about it. They're just out there representing what they have. Big, bad, here it is, check it out. But I, I think that's one of the most important parts of the upkeep story is that like anything else, it was an idea based on a problem that existed that you decided to solve and went so far as to teach yourself how to code, which is just, that's a lot. That is a lot. And what you've built, when we look at it now, it's incredible to me because it, it starts with that kind of humble approach. It's a big lofty idea that you want to just solve the problem. And then when you find that you are solving the problem and people start buying in, it's not a validation thing. It's more like you really affect an outcome for people. So now you're 40,000 plus users, at least it's probably more, you probably don't track it every day. You have even created new processes that people can lean in on now because you're able to make sense of as an organization, not just work order management, not just asset management, not just asset performance management, but wrap that all up into asset operations, which I definitely want to talk about that. But before we do, yeah, yeah, I do know that when you were first starting out, you were just putting people on the platform, just piling them on, piling them on. You weren't charging anything and you waited if I recall correctly, two years before you ever charged a dime. Yeah, yeah. So why was that? And and what was that experience like? Because I think it fueled your ability to really turn the corner and deliver what people want yeah. for an outcome. Yeah, it's, it's actually awesome that we're having this conversation, Greg, because I don't think a lot of people know like a lot of the backstory, because mm -hmm. oftentimes... You know, I tell people like Upkeep started in 2016 and, you know, yes, that's the date that, you know, we incorporated the company, but to your point, Greg, there's two, two and a half years of just like, you know, pouring blood, sweat, tears, like very, very late nights, you know, of just like hard work and grit into this thing for two, two and a half years. Yeah. So go on. I started I started building upkeep in 2014. It was always just a side hustle. What I always told people was like, what I tell people now is like, you know, hey, if you think you don't have enough time because you have a full-time job and you need 40 hours a week to your to your startup, like you're not cut out to like be a startup founder. What you what you need to be comfortable with is having a full 40-hour week, full-time job and doing 40 hours because you're just so insanely passionate about it on the nights and weekends. And that's what I did for two, two and a half years. Right. I worked so hard over the, these two and a half years, just building this product. And, you know, to your point, it was never about charging for it. It was never about like making money. It was never about, you know, building a business. It was all about solving a problem. So I built, I was working on upkeep for two and a half years, just nights and weekends, just like, constantly getting feedback, learning. It was by myself in my mom's garage, literally in the garage of my mom's house, building upkeep. And I did this for two and a half years. Um, and to your point, like we had thousands of people using upkeep for free in their daily work 
but getting value out of it. Um, and there's no way to pay for the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> How did you solve that? So here's what happened. One day we had the support tool. It's called you know, intercom. And one day a guy comes into our support channel. His name is Brad Riddy. Comes in, says, Hey Ryan, um, we really like your product. We want to pay you for it because we got a quote from Maximo to add our floats and parades team onto, onto Maximo. They're quoting us half a million bucks. And this is on top of us already paying them close to $10 million a year. Wow. We're like, wow, huh? He wants to pay us. So, you know, from Brad Riddy at Universal Studios Orlando.com. That's incredible. That, That's oh, your first I, paying client? Exactly. That was our first customer, Greg. He said, hey, Ryan, you know, we really like your app on the App Store. We can't figure out a way to pay, though. And we want to make sure you don't go out of business. Um, can we pay you for upkeep? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And he's like, oh, how about we charge you? You know, like, how, how about how about we pay you like $10 a user per month, you know, for 35 users? Like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, and, and so think about that, you know, for anybody that gets the opportunity to listen to this or understand that, when your first paying customer is beyond legitimate, a recognized brand, They've benefited so much from your product that they want to make sure you're not going away. What a compliment. Yeah. A aside from the win and the celebration and all, oh, this is great. But that is, th those are the kinds of things about your specific story that I'm so interested in. I mean, it's why I'm smiling right now because that is American dream type thing where it it feels and seems like happenstance or serendipity, but it's actually it, it actually unfolded the way it was supposed to. Yeah. You 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 had all the right feedback along the way from these thousands of users that were just using it and really helping you to know more about how they're benefiting from your product. And one of the things about upkeep that I wanted to talk about on this session is you seem to make it a part of the company culture that the client really is the priority and the revenue comes second, which in a lot of ways sounds counterintuitive to a lot of people, I'm sure. But if you get that right, then it, I use this kind of statement over the years that it's part of your DNA as an organization, because now you, everyone that works on it, everyone that uses it knows it's okay that that's actually priority number one. So can you talk a little bit about that? Had, was it fueled by some of the experiences you were seeing people were having with other companies that didn't treat them that way? Absolutely. You know, I owe so much of this company to you know, that, that one guy, Brad Rady. And he, you know, he and I trade LinkedIn messages from time to time. Like, yeah, I will never forget like Brad for believing in me and us uh, in the earliest, earliest of days. Like I owe so much to, to Brad. And this really comes back to like, what you were mentioning, our commitment to our customers. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was because of Brad and his belief in me that allowed me to believe in myself. Um, it was, it wasn't until after that I told my friend and he, and I told my friend, Oh, Hey, like, 
you know, this guy from Universal Studios Orlando who runs a maintenance team over there, a small team over there, wants to pay for upkeep and even like fly me. So I didn't finish actually the story. He said, hey, Ryan, do you want to come to Universal Studios Orlando? I live in California, by the way, and meet the maintenance team. I took a I took two vacation days from work. I flew out to Orlando. I brought my wife too. He showed me around. We saw the floats, the parades. We saw all the pyro that they're managing using upkeep to manage. It was one of the best, most memorable experiences. I would not be here without, you know, Brad's belief in me. It wasn't until after that experience I told my friend and he said, "Ryan, I think you could make a business out of this." And so when we talk about like our commitment to our customers, we have three core values within Upkeep. And one of them you mentioned already and alluded to. One of our core values within Upkeep is that we choose people over profit. Meaning we choose, you know, our commitment to our customers over, you know, making a quick buck, making generating an extra dollar of revenue. Because we know like, you know, without our customers, without someone else believing in us, and me and the company and the product like Brad Riddy did in the very, very early days, like we wouldn't be where we are today. That's that's and what are the other two, by the way? We choose grit over prestige. We choose progress over perfection. Very nice. And um, those are our core values. What I wanted to make sure that we had was like core values that actually help drive decision making within the company. I think a lot of people, a lot of companies have, you know, a core value is trust. A core value is respect. That doesn't resonate with me, not because it's not important, because but because that's just fundamental within every single human being that I talk to. It doesn't help us drive better decision making. But when we have to choose between two really good options, like should we choose that extra dollar of profit or should we choose what's doing right for you know the person, the customer, the the prospect, our team? We're gonna go and choose our people. When we have a choice to choose perfection versus progress, we're always going to choose the route of, you know, being better than we were yesterday and making small incremental, you know, steps towards being better, progressing. We've got yeah. a choice of like who to hire. It's not about like what this person has done before. It's not about the prestige that they've held. It's about what we hope that they're going to accomplish in the future. What I like about that is it, you use the word caress sounds out of place, but you're, you're caressing potential. Yeah. Because potential only exists in people, nothing else. So if you have things in place that embrace, or as I said, caress that actually care for it and kind of nurture it along, then you, you reap those benefits and you reap them as a whole, as a, as an entire group. And that's not just your, employees and your entire team it's your clients as well they know it yeah they don't know to ask for it they might not even know to look for it but they know when it's there i think i've had that experience over the years when working with people that is what really matters so difficult choice for a lot of companies especially depending on how they're funded and what the what the real bottom line impact is to day-to-day -day ops when it comes to morale and things like that Plus, you're also your headquarters is in a a, a location that's I'm gonna say pretty cool. It's centralized to a lot of really really cool stuff. And you're uh, headquartered in Westwood, right? 
We're headquartered in Westwood. We moved into our beautiful office space in February of 2020. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we just signed this big lease and yeah, one why don't you all just work from home and we'll keep paying this lease. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, we, we have a really amazing office space based out here in Los Angeles. Obviously, like, you know, since the pandemic, we've kind of like hired a bunch of people outside of LA, outside of Westwood, but you know, it's such a creative place to come to and bring people to. And I think that's where some of the magic you know, always happens. Yeah. Well, when I think of it and I think, you know, cause where I'm at, I'm also in California, but I'm down in orange County and I, it's a, it's a bit of a drive to get up that way, but there's something about that whole kind of area something. I don't know what it is. I mean, look, you're, 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 you're near everything. You're literally near everything. You're not that far from the airport. You're not that far from, well, it's not Orlando, but universal studios. Right. And a lot of cool kind of eclectic things that are representative of Los Angeles and its rich history, I guess. Oh yeah. And the way that it's a melting pot, if we can use that term. So, Next, I wanted to ask you some kind of boots on the ground type questions. So when it comes to CMMS, enterprise asset management, maintenance management solutions, where do you see the biggest ROI for clients when they're using it? It doesn't have to necessarily be the right answer, but maybe one or two, maybe three areas where you see that high impact ROI for clients that utilize the upkeep system or any maintenance management system for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of measure ROI in three and a half different places. So one is workforce productivity. So that's, you know, we, you know, the, the, the transition of everything being done on a desktop, you write everything down on a piece of paper, pencil, you come back to the office, you retype everything back in being transitioned to everything being done on, mo on a mobile device. Like that's what we call workforce product productivity. The second one is in reduced downtime. So better maintenance practices, better predictive pre preventive maintenance practices, reduces downtime of critical assets. That's going to be a critical function feature within, you know, a strong ROI prop for building out an enterprise asset management program. And at the end of the day, like, you know, people are an expensive part of your operations, but, you know, oftentimes downtime of your equipment, for example, my, my company that I used to work for, it was in the thousands of dollars per minute of downtime, like you know, reducing downtime was a real, real driver of, you know, improving profit to the company. So that's, that's ROI number two. ROI number three is, is extending asset lifetime. So I think you and I, we all believe that, you know, better maintenance practices equal better and longer longevity of your critical assets. You know, when we're spending $10 million, we have a you know, 10, 20 year depreciation cycle. If we can extend the life of that asset by 10%, saving millions of dollars. Absolutely. I, I agree with all of those. So what's the half? Oof. All right. So this one is, it's kind of in the unknown, but, but the, the, sorry, maybe not unknown, but better reporting, tracking, measuring. And essentially for, for us, like what we always say is, you know, you're going to help un, with better data, 
you're going to uncover better, um, uh, yeah, essentially business opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Better opportunities for to improve your entire operations within your business. And so it's one of these unknowns of like, you don't know what you don't know, but I promise you with better data, you will find opportunities. That's why it's kind of like a half. <laughs> I like it though, because so, so for me in the past, having gotten into the CMMS industry and I came from the maintenance industry, facilities and whatever else, we look at the data that you have provides the knowledge that can lead to wisdom. Yeah. So what you're talking about is the ability to collect, curate, and generate meaning from that data tells you exactly where to look and where you can make further improvements. And that actually reminds me of an interesting concept from a totally different industry when we talk about project management, where if you're looking at project execution maturity, you go through these stages where you'll ultimately, through that data, constantly improve your throughput. You get to that point through maturity, starting out collecting data because you're using a solution and now you can look at that data and it starts to tell you the things that you can find more efficiency on, more ROI on, more improvement on, but that takes some time. But your system getting people started with the day-to-day maintenance processes, and then they use it for six months, a year. Now they can start to see something that, that report data, all that data that gets kind of collated, curated, tells you that story. So you can find other gaps. Yeah. yeah. It's the um, continuous process improvement program. Um, you know, the way that we always talk about it internally with an upkeep is like, we always talk about it in the framework of data insights actions. And it's almost like a pyramid, where I think the general CMS is so focused on the tip of the pyramid, which is just driving actions, work orders, PMs, POs. But if we just focus on actions, we measure our team and maintenance team based off of what they're doing, not why they do it. And so what we try to do is flip the script and say, let's first create the highest quality data, which drives the best insights, which inform the actions that we take. And once we do that, we can start all over. We can capture you know, data from the actions that we take and start all over again to create this never ending process improvement program. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And that's what people should be doing when they're making this kind of an investment in their organization, in their operations. So now I want to switch to the idea around implementing a CMMS solution. So if someone's going to implement, let's say, upkeep, do they always start at the same place? Does it start with figuring out, let's say they don't have a system at all and they're first timers. Where, in your opinion, do you think they start? Is it with locations? Is it with the equipment assets? Is it with their general work order process? Is it with the people or something I didn't think of? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, One of our core values, we talked about it, is this idea of progress over perfection. A lot of people want to do these big bangs. They want to do this waterfall project, and they want to have 
you know, everything be perfect and roll it out. What we say to our customers and people that want to sign up for upkeep is, you know, find the, the minimum bar for rolling out upkeep or a system should be incremental value. Is it better than it was yesterday? And so in many ways, it doesn't really matter where you start. I think it kind of depends on what every single business is looking for. But the bar is always, is it better? Is this product, or sorry, is this workflow better than it was yesterday? Right. And if the, if the workflow yesterday is, let's write everything down on a piece of paper, let's file it away, let's you know call our facility manager, let's have them write it down on a piece of paper, call up a, and you know, maybe te- send a text message or leave a sticky note on a technician's desk so they can pick it up in the morning. Like the bar is very low to just improve your workforce workflow, your work order management system. And right. so that's likely where a lot of people will start. Say, let's just move everything into a digital format because we can get huge value from doing that, just improving workforce productivity from what we were doing compared to where we were yesterday. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's an answer that people can create some action around where they might've been thinking, well, we got to get it perfect. And when we start the implementation, we're going to spend six months and get it just right. And then we're going to start using it. Whereas with a system like yours and there's others, I'm sure you have that flexibility where, well, you just need to start and this is how you set it up. And now you're already doing work orders. For example, you're getting that benefit much, much sooner. And then it has, it sounds like the flexibility to go in myriad directions with whatever you want to do next, setting up equipment assets, PM schedules, things like that. Now, now I want to switch to your technology platform and I want to have you talk a little bit about asset performance management, because I believe that has to do with sensor monitoring and integration. Oh yeah. All right. So here's how we see our our world. Um, I, I think that the CMS world again, is so focused on just driving actions, POs, PMs, um, work orders. But again, if we look at it from the context of, you know, data insights actions, um, we are pioneering a brand new category, what we call asset operations. If you look at the, the history of APM, generally, here's what would happen. You go into your CMS, your enterprise asset management system, you'd export all of your data. You then drop it into your APM system. If you had one, oftentimes multi-million dollar solutions, many people couldn't afford it. And you run your insights off of your APM solution. You draw some interesting conclusions. You go back to your enterprise asset management system. You take all of these like PM optimizations, you update your PMs. And maybe if you're lucky, this is a once a year activity. But we talked about this, Greg, like our whole vision behind upkeep is continuous process improvement where it doesn't have to be a one-time thing, once a year, once a year activity. We want this to be baked into people's day-to-day activities. We're constantly looking, analyzing results, capturing better data, driving better insights, improving our existing process. Which is why we think it's kind of silly to have an APM product outside of your enterprise asset management system. So you know, it was actually earlier this year slash late last year that we rolled out our second product called Edge. It's purely focused on helping our customers capture data from their 
sensors, their IoT systems, their PLCs, help them drive better decision making by combining sensor data alongside what we call active data, capturing data out in the field from a technician, mm-hmm. layering these two types of data on top of each other to help our customers get a full view of their asset lifecycle to drive better decisions. I think historically, this is called an asset performance management product. And historically, it's been done outside of your you know, CMS, your enterprise asset management system. We think that's kind of silly. We think well, it should be it, baked into your day-to-day flow, focused on constantly improving your process. Definitely. And it's going to be more efficient if it's all right there. You know, You're going to get better so, data. You're going to get better insights. Because you've got that that layered data that's relational in nature. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to go outside to get it. I'm sure you've seen this, the, the compounding effect. One of the reasons why we say, you know, progress over perfection is if you improve incrementally 1% every single day for 100 days straight, that does not add up to 100% better than where you were yesterday. The number of cycles that you can turn and just make incremental improvements compounds on top of each other. Actually, right. I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, it's kind of funny I mentioned that, but I know that it's more than two X if you you know compound one percent over a hundred days. I don't know off the top of my head what that would be, but it seems natural to me that I try to think of it in terms of money, right? So a compounding effect there would be small incremental improvements actually add a further multiplier. Yeah. It, it increases the multiplier. So in, in that regard, you remember the old days we used to say, well, you put this much in and your money's going to double every seven years. Well, we don't have those multipliers anymore when it comes to, you know, the compounding effect, but within maintenance operations, you definitely have a lot of those. And if you can start to stack them up, yeah. then your your 1% next week is greater than your 1% the week prior or day by day. Yeah. And so that's the whole vision behind bridging this gap between what an APM product is and what an enterprise asset management system is. The closer that we bring and bridge these two products together, the faster iteration cycles our customers can get. Right. And the more incremental improvements they'll be able to make. And everything's definitely about iteration. Everything. The speed iteration, of iteration is necessary. The speed of, innov- it, the speed of iteration oftentimes is a direct correlation to the pace of innovation. Interesting. I definitely like that. Definitely like that. So one more thing relative to assets. You tell me just a little bit about the book. Oh, yeah. You wrote the book, literally, and it's called Asset Operations. A little bit about that, and where can people get it? All right. Well, you can get it at, on Amazon. Also, if you want to shoot me an email, ryan at upkeep.com. You know, maybe we can uh, send you a free copy as well. Um, but what what is Asset Operations? Why do we write the book on it? Like Our whole vision behind you know, Asset Operations yeah, a lot of the, the common themes that I've been alluding to come from this book. It's this idea that maintenance is just oftentimes looked at as this cost center. 
it's this idea that maintenance is just oftentimes so focused on driving action, more PMs, more work orders, more POs, more jobs, more hours worked. But if we just look at hours worked without the insights and the data to support why we do what we do and the impact that it has to the bottom line, we just get stuck into this view of maintenance being a cost center. So the whole vision behind asset operations is connect maintenance with why they do what they do with the data to support the impact that they have to the business bottom line. So let me give some more concrete examples. I think right now, we oh sorry, we ran a we ran a survey at the end of last year. We asked our customers and prospects, people in the industry, two questions. What do you care most about and how do you track it? Number one most important metric was reducing downtime for their business. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Critical assets, generating millions, billions of dollars in product and revenue for the business, reducing downtime, very important. Number one most common cited uh, goal for a company. Two, how do you measure it? How do you measure success of a maintenance team? Most common response, completed planned maintenance. We think there's a big disconnect between what's being measured for success and what businesses care about. They're measuring how many work orders were completed, how many PMs they hit the checkbox off of. But what they're saying to us is what we actually care about is we don't care about how many hours someone worked. We don't care about how many PMs they complete. We care about reducing downtime of our critical assets. And when our, our maintenance teams are viewed in this fashion, it gets looked at as a cost center because how do you increase the number of PMs that you complete? You hire more people. If that's what you care about, then you're just going to hire more. And it makes sense. But there isn't a direct correlation to more PMs and lower downtime. And so the whole vision behind asset operations is connect what maintenance teams do to the impact that it has to the bottom line. I was talking to a good friend of mine. We were talking about like, are PMs effective? Do companies even know? And the overwhelming response is that half of the PMs that companies do are probably ineffective and not very highly optimized and oftentimes could be completely chopped out, but people and businesses are too afraid to actually do it. Why? Because we don't have the data that tells us whether or not it's impactful. All, I'm sure you've heard this term, Greg, shadow PMs. It's doing PMs on equipment problems, risks that don't even exist anymore, but because they're created 10 plus 20 years ago that someone you know, once thought was a good idea, maybe they're not no longer working for the same business anymore. Right. They what don't. we want to do is connect the PMs and the impact that it has to the bottom line of the business. That's that that's going back to your point about they can't stop for a moment to learn that, which is why they need a tool that can tell them that yeah, because they're not going, it's too painful for them to stop and find out what they need to know to improve. Yeah. It feels wrong to them. Yeah. So I think it, I think it's important to, to, to have that. And it's interesting context on, on the book. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like we, we and transparently, the whole company Upkeep started out as, you know, better actions, you know, help workforce productivity, like help our customers complete and create work orders on the go from their mobile device. But our company over the last, you know, eight years, Greg, since 2014 has evolved quite a bit. Oh, yeah. you know, what we've said was like, that's important, yes. But what's really important is helping our customers better understand why they do what they do and the impact that it has the business. If we can connect every single job, every single work order that they complete, if we can connect that to the impact that it has, the business bottom line, how it reduces downtime, increases uptime, increases production throughput, like that is the winning combination of transforming a maintenance team from a cost center into a, a revenue driver. That's right. It becomes That's a profit the vision. That yeah. is the vision behind asset operations. Help maintenance teams collect the highest quality of data that enables them to say, this is the impact that my job and every single work order that I complete has the business bottom line. You're basically through that process building out the actual ROI calculator for it. Yeah. And it'll, it'll, it'll become evident through that process. That's really great. Now, a couple more things. So <laughs> one, I want to, I want to make sure people have a way to get in touch with you and would like to know how best can people reach out to you? Two ways. Uh, shoot me an email, ryan at upkeep.com. Very, very easy. Second way, I'm very active on LinkedIn too. Shoot me a message, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, it's the place that I, I go to. I post a bunch of, you know, my my journey within Upkeep. So please, please, please reach out. Good, good. And then the last thing is I want to thank you for making the time today because it's really important to me. I love journey stories. And I think for people out there that can learn more about the journey story and a little bit about where you're going I want to just thank you for that time because I think people will find this quite beneficial and maybe someday we'll get to do it again. I know we've talked about that already, but uh, on our last phone call, but I, I just want to see if there's anything else you'd like to add before we wrap the session. No, Greg, I just want to say thank you for supporting me and upkeep through the last eight years. I mean, it's really cool to see um, you know, how, how you remembered me in, in the very, very early days of upkeep and, you know, me running around uh, that NFMT trade show in Las Vegas eight years ago. Really appreciate all your support. Did you find this episode helpful? Please send us some feedback, suggest a topic, or ask a question. And follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. Reach out to CMMS Radio if you need a co-pilot on your CMMS project. And keep listening to CMMS Radio. Do you have a CMMS story? We'd love to hear it. Visit CMMSRadio.com and use the What's On Your Mind link. Thank you for tuning in to CMMS Radio, your resource for all things CMMS from selection to implementation to help you make better choices, learn from industry experts, and have a successful CMMS journey.